Well, I've never been to the Rose Bowl. That's one of the few bowls that I've uh, never experienced. I grew up two hours from here, and uh, you know, I watched Woody Hayes and Archie Griffin and the Buckeyes play the Southern Cal in the old Rose Bowl. So it was, uh, you know, a bucket list thing. And uh, we're honored to represent, first of all, win the Big Ten back-to-back and then go represent our conference in the Rose Bowl. So it's all good. I do feel like initially, I said I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have left out of spite at the end of the season or he wanted them to fire him simply due to the fact that you know, they wouldn't have been able to fire him with cause based upon the report that came out and he was a little angry but I feel like that kind of went away and you know after the Michigan game that's the happiest that I'd seen him in a while and it seemed like he was at peace with everything and it seemed, not necessarily that he was going to coach for five more years but I thought that he would have another season or two left in him. The only surprising aspect of this is that it's really not surprising. Uh, we, we've had these conversations for months. Uh, no comment on that. It's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and online with our ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon, December the 4th. Cold, blustery day up here in northern Michigan from very temperate, mild Ames, Iowa. We've got Eric Broich on headset with us. Eric is an aspiring sports media member. We're having him on to co-host the show today. Eric and I go back a long ways. I've covered his games for a long time. Thanks so much for being here, my man. Looking forward to doing this thing with you. Thanks for the invite, Tanner. I'm ready to do this. Well, hey, uh, plenty's been going on here in the last couple of days. You had Mike McCarthy getting fired on Sunday. Fred Hoiberg fired yesterday. Urban Meyer announced earlier today that he will be retiring from coaching, not just stepping down at Ohio State, but he's going to be retiring from coaching. So let's start right there. Urban Meyer, if you look at him based solely on performance, he's going to go down as one of the best college football coaches of all time. His winning percentage at Ohio State, just over 900, is second only to Alabama and Nick Saban and what they've done in that time. Performance-wise, he's everything you could want in a coach, and he wins everywhere you go. There's a case to be made for him as the best coach in college football. I firmly thought that. Four years ago when he won the national title with a third-string quarterback, now I'd toss it up between him and Saban. But there's the off-the-field issues that have hampered him, and that's going to largely leave a stain on his career. Certainly everything that happened with Zach Smith earlier this fall. Florida, when he left that job, it wasn't always on the best terms either. He's citing health reasons. He has ongoing headaches and what have you. But nonetheless, we know this is a stressful job, and when you add to what he's gone through, the last few months, it's tough to feel sorry for the guy. I mean, I've got a professional respect for him. It's just I don't know that I have that sympathy factor for him with everything that's going on. Unfortunately, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like you said, him and Saban, they are they are leaders of the pack when it comes to getting a great group of athletes, turning them into something special, titles, you name it, they've done it. But the one thing that separates those two is, like you said, Urban can't keep his nose clean, which is unfortunate because the program he's been building up for the last, what, four or five years has been absolutely outstanding. But, like you know, it just takes one little mess up to ruin a great, great career that you've spent so long to build up. Well, he's 54 years old, and he's stepping down again, not only from Ohio State, but he's backing away from coaching. His second retirement, keep in mind, he did retire for one season after he left Florida. He worked for ESPN for a year, and then he came back into coaching and started that stint with Ohio State. I don't believe he's done coaching long-term. I really don't. What about you? Well, like you 
like, if you think about it, yet again, I'm going to bring back the Saban comparison just for the fact that I think Saban's 69, 70. Something like that, and but he's in better health than Meyer. Granted, yes, but it's kind of hard to... It's kind of hard to be a coach of a Division One sports team, especially that always finds itself in the media, and not and not having a way to cope with your stress. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what team you're coaching. It doesn't matter who you are. You're always going to be stressed when it comes to a position that's that highly regarded. So, in that sense, there's people out there speculating that Urban Meyer could be landing an NFL job, and I'm not saying that health isn't playing into his decision to step down from coaching. He may have serious ongoing health concerns, what have you, that may or may not be lingering from the aftermath of the Zach Smith scandal. But if that's the case, and his health truly is what's what's hurting him, what's keeping him from continuing to coach at Ohio State, the NFL should be the last thing that's on his mind as far as even five years down the road if this isn't under control. The NFL should be... Not something he's considering whatsoever, because if you think the college level's stressful and the spotlight's on you, what do you get to that level? Once you're a once you're a well known college football coach, then there's gonna start to be stress. But when you get into the NFL you narrow it down to thirty two teams and you will have the spotlight on you every single Sunday of that football season. And I guess if if you're getting migraines and headaches and those kind of problems just from the college level, the NFL is a whole new monster. Talk with Eric Broich, student at Iowa State University, joins us on headset from Ames, Iowa. How about the decision by Ohio State? I don't think the media is talking about this enough. They replace Urban Meyer with Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator. He was the interim coach for the first three games of the year when Urban was still on suspension following the Zach Smith scandal. What does it say about Ohio State that they made the decision to promote a guy like Ryan Day over the defensive coordinator Greg Schiano, a guy who has been a head coach at Rutgers. He's been the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But in his own right, scandal has followed him plenty of places. He was set to become the new head football coach at Tennessee last year, if you remember. And scandals were continuing to follow him, and they protested. Uh, The job offer was rescinded. What does it say about Ohio State that they choose to pass up a guy with NFL head coaching experience and a spotty background to give it to a guy like Ryan Day? The only reason where I can see this being a great idea for Ohio State is if you want to look at their performances through the last four or five games this season, their defense is hurt near disappeared. Whereas when their defense disappears, Haskins comes back and leads that group to a higher new standing. I think putting your offensive coordinator as head coach is just going to help build that offensive chemistry because you don't know where Dwayne's going to go. I'm pretty sure, isn't he a sophomore this year? Yeah, and he's still got a chance to uh, go pro. That's, that's my point. So, I mean, if you're going to lose a Heisman potential quarterback who made it to the final, final ballot with Kyler and Tua, if, you're, if you have the chance of losing him, you're going to want somebody who has proven that they are offensive-minded and can keep rising in those levels. So regardless of Shiano's past and the scandal that's followed him from Jerry Sandusky and Penn State, you believe that Ohio State's defense has not performed well enough this year to give you much confidence in a guy like Shiano, and that's why you want to give it to the offense. Because yeah, And I see where you're coming from. I, I think there's a strong case to be made there. 
you have a guy who's run the defense that gave up 51 points to Maryland, should have lost that game. They gave up 49 to, to Purdue. So you want to put in the hands of a guy who's developed maybe the best passing quarterback all time at Ohio State. Exactly. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Look at all the records Haskins has broke this year. He broke the Big Ten title passing yards. He broke Drew Brees' passing touchdown record. Drew Brees. He's, he's almost a shoe in for the NFL MVP this year, and he's breaking those kinds of records. That says something about your offense. Ohio State's offense had to come up big from time to time, and you mentioned the Heisman candidates. Talk about a few offensive guys that have come through big time for their squads. You have Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. You have Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. And then, of course, Dwayne Haskins. Those three will be in New York this Saturday to contend for the Heisman. Coming into this weekend, I really thought Tua was a lock for the Heisman. I thought he was far and away the best player in college football. And I want to take the whole body of work into account the entire season, weeks one through championship week. I don't want to base it all on one game, but Kyler Murray definitely boosted his performance. And so did Haskins, but I think Murray did so a little bit better. Now it's to the point where it could very well be a toss-up between Kyler and and Tua, what do you think about the Heisman race? Well, <laughs> that that one's kind of hard for me to answer. I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little Big Twelve biased. <laughs> that's not so Iowa State student. <laughs> that's correct. But the the thing that gets me the most, okay, is that look at what Oklahoma had to replace. Not only the Heisman winner the number one overall draft pick in the NFL, Baker Mayfield. The guy who's turning the Browns around. That's what I'm saying. you got to look at, they are they are replacing that. Granted, Alabama, you know, the Jalen Hurts to a situation last year in the championship, but the, the receivers, the running back crew, everybody that Oklahoma lost, like, when they, when they have a quarterback who's still putting up those kinds of numbers with people that we don't even really know the names of, like Grant Calcaterra. Mm-hmm. How, how many people have heard of him? And the kind of thing that Kyler's doing with Oklahoma is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. All, the other two candidates, they are they are great, great players in their own regard. But personally, I think Kyler deserves it just because of the numbers he's put up with the group of skilled position players he has. Kyler Murray is a guy who could very well go top 10 in the NFL draft, and he won't. chances are he won't even be playing football after maybe another game or two because he's going to go pro in baseball and pursue an MLB career. And it makes you wonder you know, if he could be the next Bo Jackson or something like that. If he really wanted to be, I believe that he could. I believe he would have a future in, I don't know if it'd be at a Bo Jackson level, but he'd certainly be able to play in both the NFL and at least minor league baseball. I'd kind of like to see it. Absolutely. The the number one quarterback comparison he's been getting is Russell Wilson. Pretty good. That's, that's quite a guy to be compared to. You know, he's short, great arm, great accuracy, and boy, can he run. He can move. And, <laughs> I mean, I understand you're the ninth overall pick and you got to million signing bonus, and baseball is obviously way, way less dangerous than football, but, man, this kid can play. 
We've got Eric Breit from Iowa State University in studio with us. Uh, before we go to break, we have one coach, at least, who's going to be set to be introduced later today. We had Ryan Day introduced as the Ohio State head football coach. But this afternoon, Scott Satterfield will be introduced as the new head football coach at Louisville. I don't know about you, Eric, but I've always liked cheering for Appalachian State since they've come on. I know a lot of people up here aren't going to like that because of what they did to Michigan a few years ago, but they're a team I'm always rooting for whenever I see them on. Scott Satterfield's done a wonderful job there. I'm excited to see how he does at the Power 5 level with Louisville. We're, def- we're definitely going to find out, but like you said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of AP. I guess you can't really consider me a fan, but just when they play Power 5 teams and high-regarded opponents, to see how they come out and play, that's, that's just something in its own right to watch. I mean, they're, a, they're someone you wouldn't consider in anybody if they're putting up great, great, great performances against top Division One schools. Got Eric Broick from Iowa State University in studio with us. We owe you a timeout. We'll take it now. We'll come back and we'll continue to break down football, the NFL, what we learned from last night. Mark Sanchez is back. That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Ojibwa Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon. We're joined by Iowa State University student Eric Broick, co-hosting with me this afternoon, looking for a future in sports journalism. Eric, as always, glad that you're here. We promised the fans we'd talk a little bit about professional football. And last night, throwback to 2009, we've got Adrian Peterson and Mark Sanchez on the field at the same time. It's like a it's like a blast from the past. I don't know what was I was I about 13 back in 09, but man, it felt felt I felt really really young watching that happen. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It it felt like football reincarnation, Tanner. Adrian Peterson busts out a 90-yard touchdown run. Yeah, all day. He looked like he was in his prime, pre or post ACL, where, at least with the Vikings. Where did that come from? Man, I like it when Adrian Peterson's on his game. I'll tell you what, people have their opinions about him for what he does off the field, but when he's on the field, he's a lot of fun to watch, even as he starts to climb up there in age. So it was good to see him starting to look like the AP of old. Uh, last night on Monday Night Football. Unfortunately for him, his backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, gets lost for the season with a fibula fracture. That comes weeks after the gruesome injury to Alex Smith that ended his season. So now it's on to Mark Sanchez for the Washington Redskins. For me, last night's loss was bad enough. Even if they had Alex Smith or Colt McCoy, I might say this is the knockout punch for the Redskins. But do we really believe that Mark Sanchez can bring the Redskins back and lead them to the playoffs. They're down half a game to Dallas right now, and I'm still not sold on Dallas. I think 8-8 eight eight wins this division, and whoever gets into the playoffs will be a sacrificial lamb. But are we really going to pretend that Mark Sanchez could lead the Redskins to the playoffs? <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to say because football is a sport, man. You never know what is going to happen. Granted, based on his past, I would, I would like to think that there's probably not a very good chance of them 
making the playoffs after this loss, but the Cowboys have been very spotty. Even though they're very hot right now, their offense at the beginning of the year, let's not forget about that. Mm-hmm. When they forgot who Ezekiel Elliott was, let's not forget that. So, I mean, <laughs> who's to say who's going to make it out? But sacrificial lamb might be a good term. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Two teams that have... Let's throw in three. Let's throw in three teams that started the season poorly and they've turned the season around. Which of these is more likely to make the playoffs? Dallas, who's won three in a row. The Baltimore Ravens, who've won three in a row. They've turned to Lamar Jackson at quarterback. And right now, he might be on the verge of saving John Harbaugh's job if they can find the playoffs. And then the Denver Broncos suddenly have things figured out. Which of those teams do you believe in more to be a postseason contender? That's a hard one, too. Oh, man. The Ravens, yes, Lamar Jackson has come on very strong. But uh, one thing I want to point out about him is I saw uh, someone interviewed Michael Vick about Lamar, and he said, yes, he's a great quarterback and all this, but if he keeps trying to run as much as he does, (laughs) he's not going to make it very long. Mm -hmm. He said, slowly but surely, those hits add up. And... I mean, I, I like where they're at right now, but we've still got a couple games coming down the stretch. And personally, I think the Broncos, as much as it hurts me to say, I think the Broncos have a pretty pretty good shot at a wild card spot. Mm. So you like the Broncos at least for maybe the number two wild card spot. Eric's a Chargers fan, by the way. Congrats on Sunday night's win. Got take three to get that field goal through, even though the Steelers were offsides again. How about that gritty win the other night? Phillip Rivers, man, is he an outside contender for MVP? I think he has to be one of the most slept-on quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he's he's putting up good enough numbers. That's what I'm saying. He's putting up better numbers than he has before, better completion percentage than he has before. You know, and they're doing this without Melvin Gordon is the impressive thing. They had a win like that at Pittsburgh coming back from down double digits without a running back like Melvin Gordon. That just just goes to show how great of a quarterback Phillip Rivers is. We didn't have a great run game, but we ran it enough to wear them down to set up Philip Rivers for quick little play actions. To, let's not forget about Keenan Allen. Mm-hmm. Man, he is, on, he is on another level himself. I think he had 14 catches, 154 yards. Yeah, his performance kept me from the playoffs in the fantasy league. <laughs> I can't complain. We got a, we got a W in, in a place where no one's ever done that before to the Steelers. That's just that's impressive in its own right. Eric Broick, student at Iowa State University, joining us today for the Sports Pen. Looking around the NFL, you said in the first segment you believe Drew Brees is the front runner for MVP right now. Who are some of the names that could give him a little bit of trouble? I, obviously, Patrick Mahomes has got to be up there. Tom Brady is always a guy that will be in the conversation for it. Todd Gurley maybe is uh, probably not being as talked about as he probably should be. Andrew Luck, in a lot of ways, if you take out last Sunday's performance, Andrew Luck, there's a lot to like about him. I think he is a lock for comeback player of the year, but I wonder if he has any shot at being an MVP finalist. I'm going to throw out a name that many people probably won't agree with, Mm -hmm. but this will give you some serious food for thought. Is it a charger? Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. 
look at what he's done this year. Granted, last the Patriots, who, you know, Bill Belichick coached teams, he's been over 100 yards for the first eight games of the season. That, that is unbelievable. The only reason he's not in conversation right now is because of the Vikings record. He's, he's leads the league in receiving yards over the likes of Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Those are the three receivers that you hear about. Why isn't Adam Thielen in that conversation? You know, a lot of it probably has to do with the Vikings' record. They've largely underwhelmed this season. They were expected to run away with the NFC North, and right now it looks like the Bears are going to be the ones that do that. But the Vikings are going to be a postseason team. They're just too good not to be, and we'll get a chance to see them on Monday Night Football next week when they take on Seattle. But I like the pick of Adam Thielen. and I mean, everyone knows the story. It's a great football story. A guy who had a $500 scholarship offer from a D2 school, albeit pretty good division two football school and he ends up getting to training camp you think about it, he drops maybe one two passes in training camp and we're never talking about the Adam Thielen story I mean, he's cut and he's probably never getting another shot at an NFL training camp and here he is so a lot to like about Adam Thielen he beats the odds he gets out there and you know he's going to be a pro bowler he's going to have his shot at certainly uh bigger things than what he's had right now I'm I don't know that the Vikings this year can go as far as they did last season. I think all the talent is there. But for whatever reason, the Vikings, Philadelphia, and Jacksonville, three of last year's Final Four, just can't play at the same level that they did last season. They almost seem like they're playing different styles of football than they were last year. Minnesota and Jacksonville, Philadelphia, Carson Wentz just doesn't look healthy yet. I'm wondering what if that has anything to do with the way the league is changing, if the Vikings and Jaguars, teams that rely on strong running and strong defense, are starting to get swept up in a league that's becoming more offensive. And some of those rule changes are maybe impacting the way they're coached and the way that they play the game. And maybe that's what's contributing to their lack of success this season. I would say one of the teams that has had the most difficulties with the new rule changes this year would have to be the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Just look at Clay Matthews in the first three games of this season. He had a roughing the passer penalty that literally changed the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's hard to overlook, but I don't know what's happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tanner. I, I cannot tell you what's going on there besides Blake Bortles has got to go. Well, I tell you what, they need Leonard Fournette back, or they need some kind of answer at the running game, because when they have him on the field, they're a Mike Zimmer-style team. They are a team that will ground and pound you, and they'll keep their defense fresh, off the field as much as possible, dominate time possession, and let a fresh defense get out there. They can do that with Leonard Fournette, but you're not going to do that with Carlos Hyde and TJ Yeldon. So they need to figure out a way to get either Fournette back or get somebody in there who can control the ball like he can. That that would be their problem. Like they are they are great when they can run the ball efficiently. Blake Bortles doesn't have to throw over 15 yards. They can keep short little completions because you know they'll be in a second and four or second and five because they pick up five or four or six on the first down. That's the kind of offense that they are built around. And you can win with that. Yes, absolutely. They proved that last year, but that was also when you had a solid defense. And 
I don't know if they got problems going on in the locker room or I've seen that Jalen Ramsey, who's very, very outspoken, mm-hmm. has blatantly said that the offense is the problem. He's not calling out names, but <laughs> I think we all have a pretty good idea of who he's talking <laughs> about in that regard. We've got Eric Broick from Iowa State University on headset with us. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll speculate a little bit on the Green Bay Packers head coaching search. Should Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma and go to Lambeau Field? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibwa Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Eric Broig, student at Iowa State University, looking to get his foot in the door with sports journalism. He is kind enough to join us on headset from Ames, Iowa. Well, we talked about the Packers and what they could be looking for as a head coach. A lot of people think this is an attractive job. You get to go to one of the upper echelon teams in the NFL, all kinds of tradition, what have you. You get to work with arguably the best quarterback to ever play the game. Honestly, though, Eric, I think there's a lot of deterrence to this job. I don't know how attractive the job of being the new Packers head coach would be to a lot of coaches for a lot of reasons being that Aaron Rodgers is pretty much the LeBron James of the NFL. Not in the sense that he's the best player necessarily, but in the sense that what Aaron wants, Aaron gets. And he basically coaches the team from the field, similar to what LeBron does on the court. In that sense, there's a lot of coaches who want to be able to say, Aaron, this is the system we're going to run, and you're going to run it. And Rodgers is an improviser. He's a he's a sandlot kind of guy. He goes out there and he improvises. You know, he figures things out uh, as he goes. He he makes the plan on the fly. That's who Aaron Rodgers is. A lot of coaches are going to clash with him, and I don't. I know Aaron is going to try to be uh, considerate, gentle, what have you, accepting of whoever comes in. But I don't think that there's any way Aaron Rodgers comes out of this looking good he's going to be made to be the villain no matter what because he's going to be made to look like the impossible diva who's hard to work with yeah yeah and i mean like you said he (laughs) he is a amazing athlete competitor football player whatever you want to call him but i i love the comparison of him to lebron james what he wants he's gonna get even though him and McCarthy haven't been getting along for a while, surely enough, they lose a game they should not lose. Granted, on a Mason Crosby missed field goal, oh, someone man. who should not be missing field goal. No. And what do you know? There goes McCarthy. But it's, it's hard to say whether whether this was a he gets what he wants kind of thing or if there was other problems that weren't addressed and McCarthy was kind of the scapegoat of the whole situation. Well, first of all, let's put to bed the notion that Joe Philbin, who's the interim head coach and offensive coordinator, let's just put to rest any thought that he could be the new Packers head coach. I mean, he washed out at Miami as head coach of the Dolphins. Adam Gase took over basically the same team and turned them into winners. Is there any way that anybody could see Aaron Rodgers saying, yeah, Joe, what do you think I should do? 
not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. They need to bring in somebody that not only will get along with Aaron, but look at the elite level he's playing at now. Imagine someone who could take him to the next level. He's already in discussion with being one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He's already in that discussion with, what, one Super Bowl ring? If you bring in a coach that can get along with him, can challenge him, run an offense that the defense isn't going to know what plays you're running when you break the huddle, I think if you can get someone like that, the Packers are going to start to look like they used to. Now, I wonder who could be that kind of a coach. Honestly, I don't know if there is anybody available that stands out to me as being a guy that Aaron is going to work well with, that he would listen to. Uh, Belichick certainly has that kind of respect, but he's not going anywhere. What coach is respected among guys like Bill Belichick? Who has that kind of respect among available candidates in the NFL? I wonder almost if John Harbaugh has a shot at looking at the Packers. Odds are he's not going to come back to Baltimore this season. John DeFilippo, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, has been a name that's been tossed around, and you know he's a pass-heavy guy. I think he would fit in well with Rodgers. I don't know how well they'd get along, but can't argue with what he did for the Eagles as they went on to win the Super Bowl earlier this year. Uh, those are just some of the names that are being tossed around, but right now Josh McDaniels seems like the hot commodity. He obviously has a strained relationship with Brady, and Green Bay's about the only place in the league where he could upgrade as far as talent at the quarterback level. What do you think about Josh McDaniels and possibly pairing him up with Aaron Rodgers? Well, the one, the main reason I'm going to say that I think that would be a great move on McDaniels' side was because, like you said, <laughs> look at the quarterback he's getting. Mm-hmm. You know, Brady's 40-41, Aaron Rodgers is 33, and he's already being discussed as being better as Brady. What, what could possibly make you want to go away from that? To go along with, the Packers do have a great defense. It's just they're on the field too much this year. Aaron Rodgers is not being who he normally was, which I think was partially because of the toxicity that was going along with the Packers. But McDaniels would be another Belichick prodigy, and uh, you know they, <laughs> he knows how to coach him up there. Well, a lot of people are talking about Lincoln Riley, the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. I said before the break, I think it would be a bad move for Lincoln Riley to do so, and I'll tell you why. He's got a great thing going at Oklahoma right now. Second youngest Division I head coach in college football, 35 years old. For one thing, he's the same age as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers turned 35 a couple of days ago. He, it was his birthday present, basically, getting Mike McCarthy fired on Sunday. <laughs> So Lincoln Riley is the same age as Aaron Rodgers. It's similar to what happened with Joe Philbin. Do you think that a guy who played college football, Texas Tech, never got to the NFL, obviously he's a genius as far as working in offense, but do you think that he has any kind of influence to go up to Aaron Rodgers and be able to say, Aaron, this is what you need to be doing? And for another thing, the time window. The leash is going to be so short up there in Green Bay. They don't want to waste Aaron Rodgers in the time that he has left as a prime quarterback. That's why Mike McCarthy was gone, because they felt like he was wasting Aaron Rodgers while A-Rodge was in his prime. 
you're not going to have three years to get your system and your guys in place up there. And the NFC North is going to continue to be tough. The Bears look like they're going to be good for a long time with that defense. The Vikings look like they're going to continue to be good. You're not going to have time to get your guys there. It's maybe one, two losing seasons, and you're going to be out of there. You've got a great thing going at Oklahoma. Why would you make a move like this and risk it all? I, I couldn't agree more. Which, Lincoln Riley's about to challenge one of the best college football coaches there's ever been. And I think whether he wins or loses this game, he should stay at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be looking ahead, well, whoa, I just beat Nick Saban. Maybe I'm ready to take the next step. I don't think he's quite there yet. He's been a great coach for the last two years. He's really an offensive-minded coach. But like you said, he's, he's the same age as Aaron Rodgers. And if you want to compare Aaron to LeBron like you did earlier, LeBron and Tyron Lue did not get along well. No. They did not get along well. And I think this would be kind of a similar relationship, whereas, like you said, how long has Aaron been in the NFL? How long has he been a top-level quarterback? You know, you can't just expect some, essentially, a nobody to come in and start telling a MVP-caliber player what to do and what he should change. But this could go the other way, whereas maybe Aaron Rodgers should stay open-minded to the situation and be like, here's a young, brilliant, smart coach. Maybe he could help bring back a younger me and elevate my play. I think that could go both directions. When you think about that, we know what Aaron Rodgers is like. You know, we know he's a kind, personable guy. And whoever the Packers bring in as head coach, he's going to accept and I think give the benefit of the situation too. We know that. But Aaron Rodgers is going to come out of this looking bad, like he's impossible to work with no matter how it works out. Team president Mark Murphy said that they're... You know, Aaron isn't going to have any input or influence. You know, he's allowed to give it, but ultimately it won't factor in the decision as far as who the Packers bring in as head coach. We know that's a lie, don't we? I mean, we can't pretend that the Packers aren't going to give any interest to Aaron Rodgers and who he wants. Yeah, you you can try and word that however you want, but in the end, Aaron Rodgers, is he's not going to make the final decision, but uh, you can't say his voice is going to go unheard. Well, Lincoln Riley, I just don't see as being the fit there. I know he's smart. I think he's smart enough to coach at the NFL, but Green Bay's not the job to do it. They're, if you don't win right away, and they're not talking about just going 9-7 and seven and making the playoffs as a wildcard team, they are talking about being a serious Super Bowl contender in maybe a year or two. You don't want to do this if you're Lincoln Riley. I mean, you've got so much in front of you. Now, maybe if you're in your 60s and you're an accomplished coach, not to say Lincoln Riley isn't at the age of 35, but if you're about to retire, something like that, maybe this is the job you do. But Lincoln Riley's got so much in front of him, such a bright coach. I know there's a high-risk, high-reward situation up in Green Bay, and as high as the reward is, I think the risk is just way too high for a young coach to do. I'd have to agree. I think... I think in this this scenario, the risk is way too high for him to gamble on something. And look, Tanner, <laughs> I'm an Iowa State fan. You think I like Lincoln Riley in the Big 12? <laughs> but he's, he's fun to watch. He's engaged with the players. He has a genuine relationship with the players, and they want to play for him. I think when he gets older, 
more mature and has a better grasp of football as a whole, not just at the college level, I think then he's going to be making some serious moves in the NFL. Eric Bright from Iowa State University in studio with us. We owe you one last time out. We'll take it now. We'll come back. We'll talk the college football playoff. Can we get a Notre Dame-Alabama rematch in the national championship? I think so, and I'll tell you why after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only to Jibboy Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you. And let's get you caught up on everything you need to know in case you've missed anything from this last sports news cycle. Cliff Kingsbury has found his new home, and Coach Hanson will be heading to Pasadena, California. He will be the new offensive coordinator for the USC Trojans. The Los Angeles Dodgers have agreed to a four-year contract extension with manager Dave Roberts. I'm not a huge fan of this move. He's a good enough coach. He deserves to be extended, but I'd say give him a year or two. Short leash. He's got to bring home some World Series championships. No excuse with the amount of talent he's had over the last couple of years. I don't personally think he's going to. If he hasn't done it with the teams he's had the last two years, he's not going to. Nonetheless, the Dodgers give him a four-year contract extension. That tells me the Dodgers are happy with being a dominant team in baseball, but not the champs. The city of Seattle will be granted the NHL's newest expansion franchise. The NHL will have 32 teams effective for the year 2021 and 2022. That will be the first season in which there will be NHL hockey in Seattle for the first time in almost 100 years. By the way, Seattle was the first American city with professional hockey to win the Stanley Cup. Did that all the way back in 1917. Congratulations to those fans up in the Pacific Northwest. It'll be a lot of fun to see NHL hockey up there. We're joined by Eric Broich, student at Iowa State University. He's kind enough to come on and co-host today. Hey, congratulations to your Cyclones. They're heading down to San Antonio, playing in the Alamo Bowl against Mike Leach in Washington State. That should be a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm having mixed emotions. I can't decide whether I'm excited about it or not because... Uh... I'm excited because the the commentary Mike Leach provides is just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But then his football mind kind of worries me a little bit because he's, you know, such a good coach. That's, that's scary, but we're, we're going to see if Iowa State plays anything near like they did against Drake, it's going to be a 40-point blowout. Mm-hmm. But, but if we play like we have the rest of the year, I think it's going to be a really good game to watch, honestly. How about Brock Purdy and the emergence of him? I mean, that's been a lot of fun to watch. Something something not many people know about him. They're just like, oh, true freshman. Wow, he's good. Um, He had an offer from Alabama and turned it down to go to Iowa State. I can't imagine what Matt Campbell said to convince him, but give him a medal for that. I mean, Matt Campbell's one of the most up-and-coming coaches that any time you hear a Division One name pop up that there's an opening somewhere, his name's always in the thick of things as an Iowa State guy. How do you handle that stress? Well, uh, generally it starts with tears, <laughs> and then that's followed up with, please God, don't let him go. <laughs> but 
one one thing that I think honestly that I admire the most about him is how genuine he is. Mm-hmm. When he says, "I'm not gonna believe," I actually believe him because he loves those players. He loves them. I'm not talking superficial. He cares about each one of those players on a very, very, very deep level. And that is why you're seeing our program on the rise. It's because you have a coach that cares about you, and he knows how to play the game of football. Well, you wondered in the preseason, his name came up for a possible Ohio State replacement for Urban Meyer, or as they call him in Columbus, Coach God, but there was no way they were going to part with him. So you had a little bit of sigh of relief that Matt Campbell wasn't leaving. I love that about Matt Campbell, how genuine he is, as you alluded to. And he's got Iowa State going in the right direction. So we see him square off with Mike Leach here in a few weeks in the Alamo Bowl. Hey, how about Mike Leach for the Green Bay Packers job? You think Aaron Rodgers listened to him in a pass-heavy offense? That, wow, that's that's interesting. I I didn't even think about that. Just came to me, too. You got me curious now, but... But can you see Mike Leach going anywhere? That's the real question. I think he likes where he is at Washington State, but it'd be fun to to speculate, to think about. That's why we have talk shows. We can speculate. Touche, touche. I think I think he would be a, a great fit, honestly. He's another great football mind, and he's older, more mature, and I think that's more kind of the guy you'd want to tutor Aaron Rodgers. Well, hey, uh, let's look at some of the college football playoff matchups and I know you're pretty invested in the Orange Bowl as I am in the Cotton Bowl let's start out Miami though you've got Alabama taking on Oklahoma this is going to be Chiefs Rams level football you've got Alabama and either one of their quarterbacks going up against an Oklahoma defense has left a lot to be desired Kyler Murray can put up points with the best of them Alabama's defense at times has given up numbers that they probably shouldn't against teams like Arkansas. You remember Saban was pretty upset after that happened a couple of months ago. This could realistically be a game where the two teams combine for, let's say, 105 points. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch down there. It's going to be a shootout. You know, it's going to be two teams trying to outscore each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now this, I believe you and I had this conversation a little earlier. Let's be honest here, okay? Mm-hmm. The playoffs are for the viewers, correct? Would right. you say that's a fair assumption? Absolutely. Why wouldn't why 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 wouldn't you want Oklahoma and Alabama? They have arguably the two most fun quarterbacks in the whole whole division one football. Why would you not want to see them play against each other? I wonder how much of that factored into the committee's decision to put those two together, where you know that they're going to have a shootout. It's going to get ratings like the Chiefs and Rams did a few weeks ago on Monday Night Football. I think Oklahoma was the most deserving team out of Georgia and Ohio State and UCF, but I don't think that the committee was too broken up that they got those two teams, those two high-octane offenses and those two Heisman-caliber quarterbacks. I think... I think... um that a lot of people are underestimating Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you're going against Nick Saban, you might be going against Tua, but let's not forget how Alabama played the Citadel in the first half. Yeah. Let's not forget about that. 
That was a 10-10 game at halftime. And like you said, look how, no disrespect to Jake Fromm, great quarterback, look how he picks apart the tied defense. I mean, there are weaknesses there. What do you think Kyler Murray could do to them? Yeah. Well, they're going to have to outscore him, and Oklahoma's going to have to find some way to get some stops on the defensive end. Can any other team besides Alabama, I mean, think about the poor Bama fans the other day. Oh, no, our Heisman caliber quarterback is hurt. Let's just bring in the guy who led us to the national championship last season. No other team can do that. The guy who has a 26-2 and record yeah. starter, you bring him off the bench. A guy who could be, you know, playing power forward for about any Division One team at the college basketball level right now. What do you mean? He's just 6'4", 230. He's a big guy. Yes, he is. That's big. But, but Tanner, if it comes down to throwing the ball and Jalen Hurts is in, what do you think about that scenario? Well, he obviously doesn't have the arm that Tua has. He's still a capable quarterback, but it certainly takes away from the passing game on Alabama's end. And Alabama's never had to play a team like Oklahoma. No? They aren't, they aren't used to the, oh, we punted, they're up seven <laughs> points. You know what I mean? That's another thing that people don't realize is you have to outscore them. It's not going to be a, you're going to stop them. It's a, you have to outscore them. And we're going we're gonna to find out here in a couple of weeks if Alabama's up to the test, but, oh, boy, is that going to be a fun game to watch. Eric Broich from Iowa State University in studio with us. Let's transition to the Cotton Bowl down in Texas. You've got Clemson taking on Notre Dame, a rematch. Clemson's obviously the favorite. The line has them by about 11 points right now. No lie, no deceit. I've got bias to Notre Dame. You know, I've got ties there. I used to be a beat writer for them, did a little guest broadcast work for them. But I'm trying to look at this from a realist from a professional standpoint, and evaluate Notre Dame's chances in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, nobody's giving them love. Essentially, a lot of people are saying that this is a first-round buy, but Notre Dame is fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball. You've got to look at where Notre Dame could have an advantage in this game. Now, offensive line play, if it were last year, I'd say Notre Dame would have the advantage. You had uh, two top-nine draft picks on the left side, of the offensive line. This year, the O-line's been excellent, especially without Alex Bars. They lost him to a season-ending injury, their top lineman. Problem is, they're going to be without Alex Bars, and Clemson's offensive line is really, really pivotal as far as Travis Etienne's success. So, running game, offensive line, like you got to give the advantage to Clemson. Quarterback, though, I really yeah. like Ian Book's arm. I think they might have the advantage there over Trevor Lawrence. See, the thing I like most about Notre Dame, like you said, they're very sound. But not only that, I think what impresses me the most is they're the kind of defense that's going to make you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And against a freshman quarterback, granted, Trevor Lawrence, he's, he's been great this year. But he's never played in a game against a solid defense like this with this high of stake. Your conference championship game was against Pittsburgh. Okay? <laughs> you know, I mean... I'm, I honestly think that the games this year are going to be played a lot better than people are expecting them to be. Wide receivers, I think it's a fairly even matchup between those two teams, but Notre Dame, 
I think in the defensive backfield, we'll have an advantage over Clemson. So for me, it's going to be how well can Notre Dame stop the run and Travis Etienne. Then on the offensive end, how accurate can Ian Book be? Being able to stop ETN is going to be the. That's I think we should leave a flag there because not many teams have done it this year. And he's a guy that he can and will run for over 200 yards on me, and he's going to make it easy. He's a great he's physical, and he's really, really hard to bring down, Tanner. He is hard to bring down. You know, Notre Dame is going into this as double-digit underdogs. Looking at it from a fan standpoint, I would like to say they can win. From a realistic standpoint, you've got to take into account that Clemson has been here before. They've been at this level, and they've won at this level. For Notre Dame, even when they've gotten to the championship in seasons past, they've never done it at this format. They've gone into championship games even six years ago with Alabama, the seniors knowing this is it. You know, this is going to be the final time I put on the uniform. That may not be the case for when they go to the Cotton Bowl. This is a whole new thing for Notre Dame. It's going to be new how they prepare, how they train, and how they practice for this game. You know, but it'll uh, it'll uh, affect their Christmas plans, what have you. You know, Christmas the 25th, the game will be played the 29th in Dallas. And it makes you wonder how well Notre Dame can be prepared not only to get ready for the game, but then for the stage itself. So taking all that into account from a realistic standpoint, put my bias aside, I think Clemson will win because they're going to have that kind of an advantage. But I don't think they're going to cover the spread. If I had to predict, I'm going Clemson by a field goal. I was literally going to say Clemson by three. (laughs) Great minds think alike. That's right. That's right. From a realistic standpoint, Notre Dame probably won't win the game. But it's not out of the question to think that they could win the game. I think it's going to be a great one. I really do. Well, I tell you what, uh, we are out of time. Hour went by quickly here in the sports pen. We have Eric Broika, student at Iowa State University. He's on headset with us from Ames. Eric, thanks for being here, my man. Always good talking to you, and uh, hey, let's have you again here soon. Sounds good to me. Thank you for the invite, Tanner. All right. This is Tanner Hoops signing off from the WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette, ESPN Radio Studios. Turn you over to the Will Kane Show.